The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is your Magnum Champion, Devin Thomas, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Awesome! Sort of breaking break down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. We're back, kids, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 217 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, July 22nd. My that, name... That number doesn't seem accurate. That's it. 217? Yeah, 216 was the last one. I stopped counting at like 180. <laughs> my name's Matt Baum. It's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not fighting sharks with my bare hands, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not weeping softly while taking down my Hulk Hogan posters, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. I don't think Hulk's a racist. I think he's just really f***ing stupid. No, I think Hulk is a racist. <laughs> I think he's just dumb. This week, you're going to hear our reviews of Wolf, number one, and Cyborg, number one. After that, we'll review 10 of this week's new comics faster than warp speed during a ludicrous speed round. And then... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the T-800 himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, will discuss some of next week's comics with us. And finally, we'll be reviewing Christopher Sabella's High Crimes for our monthly Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we start dropping N-bombs here, let's hope Taylor Swift and Katy Perry don't end their Twitter feud before we can discuss a celebrity death match with UFC president Dana White. And then... We're going to talk about this week's big news. We got big news. The body is I'm, not, I'm not dropping any M-bombs. I don't care what you say. I was talking about nerd. I don't care, <laughs> I don't care what kind of ratings you I think we're going to get. I was talking about the N-E-R-D word. <laughs> See, we could say it because we're nerds. Yeah, right. Every nerd is a nerd to a nerd, you know? Right. Tony Isabella is a veteran comic writer best known for creating the character Black Lightning in the 70s. After spending years writing the character for DC Comics, Isabella parted ways with the publisher and the split was less than amicable. Now, after nearly 20 years, it seems like Isabella and DC are reconciling with the pair working together to bring Isabella's classic Black Lightning stories back into print for the first time since their original publication. In a post on his blog, Isabella revealed that DC Chief Creative Officer Jeff Johns personally reached out to talk about the unpleasantness between the two parties and what DC could do to make things right after all these years. I would call it beef. Uh, they have a mad beef. <laughs> As a result of these discussions, DC will release a complete edition of the original Black Lightning series in April, with the potential to follow up with Isabella's 90s revival of the character in future volumes. While Isabella is understandably choosing to keep most of his conversation with Johns and DC private, the writer said, quote, Let's just call it a good start. It was the first time in two decades a DC executive didn't speak to me like I was a child or insane, end quote. Now, Matt, I think Black Lightning is cool and all, but I think the real story here is DC reaching out to make things right with a legendary creator that was wronged by the company in the past. Do you think it's altruism? Do you think DC thinks there's money in it? Could it be both? I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, like, I'm glad. I, I really am glad that they took this step. And that's great. But like, why Tony Isabella? There's so many creators out there that have been wrong, but both DC and Marvel, to be fair. Sure. Like, why this one? Are they planning something for Black Lightning? 
Well, that kind of... It's got to be, right? That seems like it, it must be the impetus for this, right? That would be my guess. Like, why would Jeff Johns and Dan DiDio just suddenly just decide, hey, you know who we need to patch things up with? Yeah, Isabella really got screwed. We should call that guy. But it is fair to point out, all credit to DC, they own that character. They can do whatever they want it's with true. it. true. They didn't have to come to Isabella for no, his no, blessing. No. I don't think they're only doing it for business reasons, but I do think they are business doing it for Business reasons are the reason that they are doing reasons. it, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so the, the beef between the two kind of stems from the fact that Isabella wanted to do something with the character for years, and DC just basically ignored Black Lightning's 25th anniversary, and Isabella asked if he could lease, like, give me the reprint rights. Please right. let me make my own collections and sell them. Yeah, because they're not doing anything with them. And according to, to Isabella, DC laughed in his face. I can see them laughing in his face. Now, this would have been years ago. Right. And to be fair, I think if the creator of Wild Dog came to them and said, I want to reprint all the Wild Dog stuff myself, they would go, ha ha, get the hell out of here. <laughs> I, th I think the thing to take away here is that even though there may be a cynical side to the story, it's still a good thing. They didn't have to come to him. Yes. They don't have to have his permission or his blessing to do anything. I totally agree. They could put out a book that says Tony Isabella presents Tony Isabella's Black Lightning. Yeah. And, and they could do nothing about it. Yeah. And not even write him a check, probably. I think it's ultimately a good thing. And I hope that this leads to them uh, patching things up, maybe making amends in some way with other creators that may have gotten the short end of the Watch stick. Watch for that future Black Lightning project. Hey, man, I love Black Lightning. Hey, I don't despise him. I mean... In other comic news, Boom Studios has announced their next project with Escape from New York writer Christopher Sabella. <laughs> Welcome back. A quote, suspense-filled reincarnation saga drops on August 19th by Sabella and artist Jonathan Brandon Sawyer. I loved him on Home Improvement. Uh, <laughs> in Welcome Back, <laughs> Molly and Tessa have lived hundreds of different lives throughout time. Caught up in an eternal cycle as they take part in a war so old that neither side remembers what they're fighting for anymore. As Molly wakes up in her newest life as the directionalist college age daughter of a notorious serial killer. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Didn't even plan that. She suddenly starts to question everything, especially why she continues to fight. But elsewhere, the determined Tessa is already on the hunt, leaving a trail of bodies in her wake. Joe. We've been hearing more and more about Sabella lately, and we're going to talk a little more about one of his recent projects on this show. Are you excited for Welcome Back? Yeah, I think it sounds really great. I'm excited for Christopher Sabella. He's a talented guy, and he's he an up-and-comer. He's a talented guy. He's super nice. Oh, you met him. I met him, yeah. yeah. He, his mom lives in Omaha. Oh, no kidding. And she has a pull file at Legend. Uh, she collects everything that christopher does let it's me get adorable. this straight. chris doesn't send his mother his comics oh he was paying for them for bastard <laughs> no no no. he was buying them for her uh but that's neither here nor there that's their own business um but yeah it's super cute like she lives here and he came to visit one time he was here for Comic-Con, and he came in and introduced himself yeah super super sweet guy oh you know what i met him in Comic-Con too yeah absolutely super nice guy and this book looks really good i love the art uh they've sh shown some promo stuff that looks really cool I love the the constant reincarnation angle, and they're like locked in this never ending struggle. Yeah, and they're trying to break the cycle and Sounds all that like fun, fun stuff. Just like Hawkman. 
Kind of like Hawkman, yeah. yeah. If you look at a lot of Sabella's recent projects, they're female protagonists. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like in that Greg Rucka way where yeah, it's like... Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's not a big deal, man. It's just, look, this book, the leading character is female, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be. And he does a great job writing women. And yeah, I think it's great. I think this sounds like a lot of fun. And Welcome Back is definitely the sort of book that if you think it sounds interesting, you need to pre-order. Yes. However it is you choose to do so, whether it's online or through a retailer, you've got to let people know that you want this book because this sort of small publisher creator on stuff, it's not going to thrive without you. It's not going to make it into a lot of shops either without you pre-ordering it. So true. think about that. And finally, Sci-Fi has acquired the supernatural Western drama Winona Earp. Created by legendary Guy Gardner warrior writer, Bo Smith. Legendary. Yes. <laughs> might be a little strong. <laughs> He's a legend in my heart. Okay. The series follows Wyatt Earp's great-granddaughter as she battles demons and other supernatural beings. Winona is a witty and wild modern-day gunslinger, using her unique abilities and a dysfunctional posse of allies to bring the paranormal to justice. The 13-episode adaptation starts production next month for an April release. Look for it on the schedule somewhere between Croctopus versus Mansquito <laughs> and Sharknado 4, where I'm predicting that Tara Reed's character will merge with the toothy natural disaster following the events of the most recent installment's cliffhanger. Yeah, I missed it, so... It's... Tara Reid's fate is in our hands. Oh, great. Now, Matt, I picked this story mostly so I can make Sharknado jokes. <laughs> But this actually sounds like it could be kind of fun. No, uh, definitely. Sci-fi has had good shows before. And I mean, Battlestar Galactica was there and Warehouse 13 was there. Like they've done a bunch of shows. Yeah, really Eureka. Like. Arun Singh is on his way there. That's right. <laughs> Arun Singh's uh, headed there to write that ship. Well, more on that later. This sounds like a Western Buffy. Yeah. And it always kind of struck me as sort of like a, you know, a bad girl type you know, action book. And I wasn't that interested in it, but this premise, it wasn't, I, I read a couple of them and it really wasn't like, really image comics is where it got to start. Yeah. That's what I thought. 96. No, it was pretty fun stuff. I actually really liked it. It was Wildstorm Put it out and I picked it up uh, back in the day cause it had really good art and it, yeah, it was a good time. It was, um, Joyce chin. Oh, Joyce chin. Yes. I know who Joyce chin is. She did a lot of work, uh, in the late eighties and nineties. She did some DC stuff. She was definitely drawn very busty and with a size zero waist on the cover, so I can see how you would have thought. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, to but be, it was, it was to fun. be fair, that was just me judging it by its cover. Sure. I never actually looked at it, but I do like Bo Smith. I know it's I know it's very silly, but I really enjoyed his Guy Gardner work. <laughs> I think he's a good writer. All right, and I'm happy to uh, see that this kind of obscure kind of project, there's still interest in it out there. You know, yeah, and, and good for and Bo these Smith. guys that are. Plugging along at this yeah. at this work for pretty minimal recognition are still right. getting their due, and I think that's great. Good for him. I'm glad he's getting paid. Side note, Bo Smith last week was attacked by a dog while walking his, his own dog outside. He was attacked and bitten by a dog. Oh, my. Yeah, so. Is he okay? Hope you're on the road to recovery, Bo. Jeez. Yeah, he's fine. What but kind of dog bit him? I don't remember. Big dog? Little dog? Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, a dog... You've, Freaking lunges at you and I guess. takes a chomp of your leg. It doesn't really matter what kind of dog it is. Well, it's like a wiener dog or something. I'm just going to laugh it off. You know what I mean? Well, I don't think he had to go to the hospital. Oh, Smith, anything. bitten by a wiener dog. You heard it here first. <laughs>
That's it for the big news. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything else that you think we missed, hit us up. Trust me, there was nothing. That's why we're talking about Black Lightning and Winona Earp. (laughs) Hit us up at the DHN forums where Joe and I will be taking bets on the T-Swift versus K. Perry match. I think Katie's got the weight advantage. She's a little beefy. She's certainly bulked up. Yeah, but Taylor's undoubtedly smarter. Taylor's got the reach. She does. Every week, my favorite pop diva, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums for you nerds to fight over like real housewives pulling out each other's weaves. Joe, what are we asking these rabid listeners this week? I'm super sad that I understand that reference. This week's question comes courtesy of forum member Cross with a K. Quote, I just listened to the favorite childhood cartoons podcast, and I'm so disappointed that no one said Voltron. But it got me thinking along a similar thread. What is your favorite non-animated TV show from childhood? I'm thinking of great shows from my 80s TV childhood, like Manimal, Knight Rider, MacGyver, Greatest American Hero, and Misfits of Science. Oh, Misfits of Science. That's where we first met Courtney Cox. A young Courtney Cox. Yes. Also, the guy that played Willie on ALF was on it. Okay. Willie Tanner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, July 31st to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle there is Nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Or if you're feeling fancy, you can send an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. And you better have a theme song in there, man. Come on. Oh, yeah. I want to hear a theme song. If you're going to send an MP3, you are disqualified without a theme song. Randy Andrews, <laughs> no excuses. Whatever you do, keep it uh, short, two minutes-ish, or you will get cut off. Matt Bomb likes to throw his weight around, but you know we're softies. That's all I've got. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums, and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's the best! I never thought I could feel so free. It's review time on THN where Matt and I stop worrying about the AT&T DirecTV merger and what it means for the THN stock portfolio to give in-depth reviews of two of this week's comics. I'm more worried about our 401k. I'll be honest. It's a scary time. (laughs) It really is. Matt, tell the kids what you read this week. This week, I read Wolf, number one from Image, written by Ailish Cott, art by Matt Taylor, and colors by Lee Lawfridge. This was 64 pages for $4.99. What a steal. Bargain. Antoine Wolf is not your average L.A. resident. For one, he might be immortal. Two, talks to ghosts. Three, he has a friend with tentacles on his face. And four, he seems to understand that L.A. has a hidden supernatural side that he's very comfortable with. Wolf seems to be a fixer slash detective of sorts working as a liaison between the normal and supernatural community. In this first issue, we see him trying to settle a rent dispute between his Cthulhu-faced friend and vampire landlord. (laughs) Cott's writing has been dense, to say the least, in some of his other titles like Zero. Here, he relaxes quite a bit and gives us a somewhat slice-of-life story, almost. Like his other work, there's no hand-holding here at all, and the opening of the story violently drops you into Antoine's world. But from there, we just sort of see this character going about his life, and he's likable. He's not especially remarkable in the way he dresses or anything. He's a tall black guy. 
that has a reputation for being a badass detective amongst the supernatural and the police seem to hate him too. So it's a mystery. The colors on the first few pages instantly struck me. It's beautiful art by Matt Taylor too, but it featured a burning man who turns out to be Wolf walking down Mulholland Avenue towards Los Angeles at night and singing really cool way to start this book off. Taylor has also worked on zero specifically issue seven. The only place I've ever seen his work before and his art is fantastic. It reminds me of times of Alex may leave with some of the photo referenced digital affected stuff that he does, but not as heavily as what may leave does. His art also reminds me of Wes Craig who does the art on deadly class. Subsequently Lawfridge also does the colors on that. And that book looks damn good too. Really nice design on this book from cover to cover by Tom Mueller, who is credited only with design. So (laughs) I guess he put the look of the book together, but Cod has created another very interesting character in both Wolf and his vision of supernatural Los Angeles and a bad guy with the weirdest accent I've ever encountered. Wait, where he pronounces R's as F's. (laughs) It's a part where he says true, but it's like, I'm giving this a buy it. I really had fun with it. Yeah, you know, it took me a while to kind of get into it, but I really love the kind of L.A. noir, yeah. pulp fiction-y. And there's kind a rhythm to what he's doing here, too, to it, yeah. that was definitely different. Yes, yes. There's a cadence to it that you really kind of have to sync to, but I did enjoy it. Uh, I love the idea that this guy, who is ostensibly human, well, I guess we don't really know if he's human-human. Something's going on with him, and we don't need to know But he definitely has yet. supernatural abilities of some kind. Right. And so his, he's got one foot in the human world and one foot in this world of just absolute nonsense. Yeah. Where his best friend is a Cthulhu, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, like you said, he talks to ghosts. Yeah. Uh, Cod also, and it's a trick he's used before, but he does like that uh, MacGuffin type thing that you often see in Alfred Hitchcock films where there's like something going on. You're like, oh my God, what is that? And you're just like, pay no attention to that. We'll come back later or whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I love that trick. It's great. Yeah, but ultimately I really enjoyed it. And it's hard to deny that this is a really great buy. It's very thick, yeah. packed first issue a for five bucks. four page first issue. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm giving it a buy it too. I enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to more from it. I have a feeling that this was two issues and they went, uh, I think we need to give you the first two issues to really get you sucked in. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be. Because it was obviously two 32 page issues. Joey, why don't you tell me what you reviewed this week? This week, I'm reviewing Cyborg number one from DC Comics, written by David F. Walker, with art by Ivan Rice and Joe Prado, and colors by Adriano Lucas. It's your standard 32 pages for $2.99, and here's your solicit. The machine that gives Cyborg his powers is evolving. The only problem is that machine is his body, and he has no idea what's causing these changes. Yeah, man, it's... Look, sometimes... You find hair in weird places. It's true. You start to notice girls your, or boys. Your or voice whatever. starts to drop. Yeah. You grow robot parts. It's true. Your robot parts get bigger. So. <laughs> yeah, right. After bearing the brunt of an explosion, Victor Stone's scientist father replaced his damaged limbs and organs with advanced technology, giving Victor the superhuman ability he needed to stand side by side with Earth's mightiest heroes in the Justice League. Not Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that's the Avengers, but you knew what I meant. Yeah, I gotcha. Now, and not the Teen Titans. <laughs> right. Oh, yes, not the Teen Titans. <laughs> no, this no, no. This is, uh, you know, reboot and the whole deal. 
Now Vic's body is evolving in ways he doesn't understand, while an alien enemy makes its way to Earth in search of his cybernetic tech. As with the rest of DC's new crop of post-convergence launches, Cyborg Number 1 picks up after the events of the eight-page prelude story published back in May. Credit to writer David Walker here. While it's clear that something has happened to Cyborg prior to this story, Walker recaps in such a way that a new reader isn't penalized for missing it. Everything you need to enjoy the story is presented by the creative team, including Cyborg's origin. It truly feels like a welcome jumping on point for readers that might only be familiar with the character from his appearances on television. I was a little lost. You're kidding. No, a little bit. I was like with the whole thing where it was showing like uh, he's showing how he died. Well, yeah, he's saying playing. this happened to me two days ago. I was attacked. Yeah. I mean, what? why are you confused? Was he that explained the, exactly what happened. Was that in the pages of something else? Of the eight page prelude. That's where that was. Okay. But like he explains exactly what happened. Right. So it's I like you were there. I just wasn't really sure where that took place. Well, that I didn't is realize. your own I didn't failing, prelude, my friend. So. Walker is able to establish a supporting cast for Cyborg. That includes his emotionally distant father, rebooted DC villain T.O. Morrow, and Dr. Sarah Charles, the only person at Star Labs that treats Victor like more than a science project. All the while, Walker propels the story forward and fills readers in on events they may have missed as exposition is interspersed with action on a distant alien planet. We don't actually see Cyborg in action at all here, but that's okay. Despite the popularity of Teen Titans Go, Cyborg is far from a household name, so the extra time Walker spends developing Vic's character is welcome. I don't know what more can be said about the artistic powerhouse team of Ivan Rice and Joe Prado at this point. They're so good. This issue is as beautifully drawn as you've come to expect from these guys. There were a couple of things that stood out about the art that impressed me. First was the way Rice and Prado illustrated the alien force called the Techno Sapiens. At first, I thought they were just cool H.R. Geiger looking alien monsters. But as the issue progressed, I noticed that the Techno Sapiens were absorbing and assimilating their enemies like right there in mid page in the background, they're they're absorbing dudes that they were just fighting like the Borg, like the Borg. And it adds a zombie esque creep factor that I appreciated. Secondly, Rice and Prado are able to humanize Cyborg in a really compelling way. Thanks to the use of body language and some great facial expressions. Couple that with Walker's script. <clears throat> Coupled with Walker's script, that humanizing aspect really drives home the fact that this book is about Victor Stone the man, not Cyborg the cold robotic superhero. Colorist Adriano Lucas makes the line art shine with his bright palette and the use of a lot of white, silver, and blue tones that make the tech gleam like the bridge of J.J. Abrams' Enterprise. I totally felt the same way. That's, That's amazing. My favorite aspect of the coloring was the way Lucas added flecks of blue to the sinew of Cyborg's muscle fibers, making them look almost fiber optic. It's a little thing, but it really stood out to me. Overall, I thought Cyborg number one was a real treat. It's a fun first issue that sets up an interesting premise and introduces a creepy new threat for the protagonist. There's nothing really groundbreaking about the issue or how it's presented, but it is a solid story that makes a good case for why Cyborg deserves his own series after spending the last 30 years languishing on the B list. I'm really looking forward to more from this team, and it's about time Vic got his due. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I'm with you here. I, I'm really glad that they went for a personal story to establish who Victor is, because we've never really learned a whole lot about him other than he's the black guy on the team. You know what I mean? I mean, if it, you've read decades of Teen Titans, sure, you've seen sure. that stuff 
you know, here and there. Yeah, a little bit. But this is really establishing him as a character. They didn't go straight for the like big action and look at him kicking ass or whatever. Like they just sort of set it up. There's something interesting and mysterious going on with the character. For instance, he grew back his arms, which is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he lost he his some of his cybernetic parts were destroyed or or cut off and right. when they grew back there was human skin it's really weird so we don't know what's going on it's a good mystery and i want to see where this goes the art was incredible this is a great book i'm giving it a buy it also i think it's notable for being one of the few cyborg solo stories that did not deal with cyborg being like a woe is me ben Grimm thing kind of character like look at me i'm a monster yeah i'm more machine than man how can you love this yeah yeah I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that the dude's happy with his lot in life, but he's also not, it's not constant soul pain. Right. He seems more bummed about the fact that his dad is distant. Yeah. Than the fact that he is a cyborg, which that's human. I thought that was a refreshing take on the character. Somebody that's not, he's not wallowing in, in pity for his condition. So that's a double buy it for Wolf number one and a double buy it for Cyborg number one. As always, we want to know what you black, bad, ironclad, immortal detectives thought of these comics. So use your cybernetics to hack the THN forums with your opinions of these books, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Fueled by the fear of Donald Trump actually winning the GOP primary and possibly winning the presidency, Matt and I have begun production on a giant space arc big enough to carry 500 sane people through space to Kepler 452b, a planet discovered earlier this week 1,400 light years away in the constellation Cygnus that we will promptly rename Earth 2 upon our arrival. Hells yeah! So join us now as our friend Chode prepares to test the Shi'ar warp drive we borrowed while we review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! The Blacklist, number one from Titan. The Blacklist throws you right into the world of the NBC show with a story written by series script coordinator Nicole Don Phillips. Phillips obviously has a firm handle on these characters because the voices are spot on and the story is compelling. The art by Benny Lobel isn't quite as successful. It falls for the common pitfall of licensed comics, trying way too hard to create likenesses. Mm. It's not bad. But I can't really see this appealing to readers that don't obsess over the show like I do. Skim it. Godzilla in Hell, number one from IDW. Writer-artist James Stoko follows up his Godzilla The Half-Century War with this story of Godzilla's descent into hell. Which is a little weird to think the giant monsters go to human hell. But what the hell? Maybe right? it's monster hell. <laughs> well, I don't know. There was stuff written in English there. For us, Matt. I don't know. I mean, possibly. I don't know. How do you know Godzilla doesn't speak English? <laughs> this is basically a showcase of Stokoe's amazing art with no dialogue to speak of. It was neat, but I definitely fell in love with the half-century war with issue one. I'm going to need a little more here than Godzilla fighting weird creatures from Stokoe's subconscious. Very pretty, but I can only give it a skim. You are crazy. This book was magical. It, really? Yes, it was I, awesome. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. Like, really pretty to look at, but it took me five minutes to get through it. You need to look harder at the pictures. Mercury Heat, number one from Avatar. Mercury Heat, number one, is a sci-fi police procedural by Kieran Gillen and the great Omar Francia that doesn't pull punches. 
Galen and Francia give us an insanely badass female lead that loves Murder, She Wrote, and Crushing Skulls. Thought this was great. It's an Avatar book. It's the first time I think you've ever given an Avatar Go book. Go figure. It. It's a buy it. Wow. Captain Britain and the Mighty Defenders, number one from Marvel. I'm going to say it. I'm officially getting tired of every Battle World tie-in featuring a cast of characters that can't quite remember how the world was. Here, Al Ewing writes a story of Ho Yinsen, the man we know, who was trapped in a cave with Tony Stark and died helping him escape. And his utopian city, defended by the Mighty Defenders with the worst Spidey <laughs> costume ever. Hobie Brown, the Prowler, with a spider cape. He's got the green suit on and a red spider cape. He looks terrible. Boss Cage is next door and looking to annex Yinsen City. I was a little let down when Captain Britain showed up and it didn't turn out to be a Braddock, but this was fine. I'm giving it a skim it. You, cr you again, crazy. This was excellent. It wasn't excellent. So many fun ideas in this thing. She-Hulk as a Thor and her hammer is a gavel. Yeah. Because she's f***ing She-Hulk. Whatever. It no, was fine. And, it was fine. The, and the rival city was a parody of Mega City 1. It I was Judge it. Dredd. I get it. It was fine. I, j I just thought it was fine. It was awesome. Power Buy up. It. Power up. Number one from Boombox. Kate Leth and artist Matt Cummings present a goofy tale about an average 20-something pet shop clerk that suddenly finds herself on the receiving end of vast cosmic powers. It's a fun idea, and Leth's script is enjoyable, but Cummings' art is very cartoony, and that approach makes for some hard-to-follow action, and the characters spend way too much time reacting to one event than actually forwarding the plot. It's got a lot of promise, and I did enjoy certain aspects of it, but I think it needs another issue or two to really get going. It's a skim it. Swords of Sorrow. Red Sonya and Jungle Girl, number one from Dynamite. Marguerite Bennett writes this chapter of the Swords of Sorrow crossover that features the ladies of Dynamite U teaming up to fight somebody. I read the first issue and I can't remember the life of me who the bad guy was. I remember he was a jerk to women. Regardless, if you haven't been reading the other tie-ins, you're going to be a little lost, like I was. But... Bennett writes some solid and at times even very funny dialogue for Sonia and Jaina, the jungle girl, who's actually probably not a little girl. She's pretty well built. And I really like the manga-inspired art by Mirka and Dolfo. But, like I said, this crossover seems to be all or nothing, so I'm going to say skim it. Island, number one from Image. I'm surprised you didn't stop me and go, You are crazy! This book was awesome! What, are you kidding? <laughs> I didn't read friggin' Swords of Sorrow. The art was really cool. Brandon Graham, Emma Rios, and friends team up for the first issue of an ambitious new anthology series. It's hard to deny the talent at work here, but like all anthologies, I found it to be pretty hit or miss. The magazine format and $8 price tag might scare off some readers as well. Big time. But while some of the stories were pretty nonsensical, Island is gorgeous from cover to cover. That is the one thing that sets it apart from other anthologies. This book is an artistic powerhouse. And I think there's a place for this kind of book on the market. I'm giving it a strong skim it and urging you to show your support for this creative showcase if you think it's up your alley. All the way up your alley, pal. Straight up your alley, buddy. Star-Lord and Kitty Pride, number one from Marvel. Peter Quill is Star-Lord and he remembers everything that happened before the final incursion that blew up the Marvel U. Now. He hides out singing Disney songs with a band of Peter David's X Factor. There's no Disney in Battleworld, so ladies think he's a genius songwriter. Of course, he bumps into this world's Kitty Pride. Wait, so he's like singing like, be our guest, be our oh, guest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's in the swanky club singing, oh, oh, new 
<laughs> There's no Disney in Battleworld. Oh, of course, he bumps into Battleworld Kitty. And, of course, she has claws, which is immediately what they do whenever they're trying to make Kitty more interesting. Uh, it's weird, because on the cover, it looked like Age of Apocalypse Kitty it's with not. the blonde hair. It's not. But in the book, it's normal brown hair yeah, Kitty. I don't know what was going on there. But she also has no memory of falling in love with Pete. Wah, wah. There's a fun script here by Sam Humphreys with great art by Alti Berman Saya. But like the other 1,000 Battleworld tie-ins, this was just cute at best. Giving it a skim. Siege, number one from Marvel. Speaking of Kieran Gillen, Siege is a Secret Wars tie-in that feels like it has a way stronger connection to the main series than any of the others. Abigail Brand and her new partner, Kang the Conqueror, set out to protect Battleworld from the nightmares that live on the other side of the shield. But things go from bad to worse when they discover a threat from beyond God Doom's carefully constructed realm. Wonderful art by Philippe Andrade and other pals like a surprise visit from James Stokoe. Whoa. This was great. It's a buy it. Yeah, like this, like of all the times I've read, I looked at this and went, oh man, this one's important. Really? Yeah. I'm sure that you can skip it without losing anything, there's but it actually some that are, has weight. There's definitely some that are way more important than other, like Thor's, for example. Yeah, it feels like it has weight. Death head, not death's head. Number one from Dark Horse. Yeah, not that death's head. Not that death's head. <laughs> This was a weird horror book with three separate stories and no real focus, at least not yet. It has some nice art, but really, it just was super disjointed and it had this kind of, it was going for this kind of Blair Witchy type thing. It just didn't really hit with me. I'm going to give it, I'm conflicted. Yeah? I'm going to give it a leave it because okay. I don't care. Fine. I don't feel like I'm going to read anymore of they it. They didn't do the job then. Yeah. Leave it. An unfocused kind of pretty mess. Eat it, Deathhead. There you go. For those of you counting, I did six books and Matt did four. Joe Patrick, bonus! <laughs> crack room! That is your ludicrous speed round and crack room is the sound of Excalibur smashing through unbreakable polycarbonate as seen in last week's issue of Captain Britain and the Mighty Defenders. Now smash our forums with your opinions of these comics over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums. You can also talk about last week's comics because that's what we did. Yeah, yeah. We went around last week. Now Arnie's not a man with whom you should trifle. You need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. In the wake of Terminator Genesis's failure at the box office, Paramount Pictures has been forced to lay off several employees, including the T-800 Terminator himself. Well, their loss is our gain, and Joe and I picked up the T-800 for a steal on eBay, and we've been using his link to Skynet and Knowledge of the Future to get some info on a couple of next week's comics. Joey, time travel is handy. It really is. What say you join me in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum? We've got Arnie recharging right now, and talk about a couple of next week's comics. What are you excited to read? Next week, my pick... Is Richard Matheson's The Shrinking Man, number one from IDW, written by Ted Adams with art by Mark Torres. Here's your solicit. <laughs> and it really should have been phrased slightly differently. Richard Matheson's exploration of shrinking manhood is brought to vivid life in this comic book adaptation. Well, who knows what he was going through at the time? I mean, <laughs> oh, we are children. Scott Carey. Reducing one-seventh of an inch per day 
Is it one seventh of an inch or one seventh of a foot? Looks like one seventh of a foot. Uh, one. The apostrophe would be a foot. A foot. Yeah, one seventh of a foot. Yeah, but that means like your life is over very quickly. Well, I mean, anyway, like, no one can do that. Regardless, now. Scott Carey is shrinking a little bit at a time every day. He's shrinking like thirty feet a day. He faces tension, <laughs> big and small, as his body continues to shrink away. Weird. I only picked this because next week is a super light week. It is an exceptionally light week. And I actually heard about this story from I Am Legends Richard Matheson. Okay. About this guy that wakes up and he finds that he is just slowly shrinking into nothingness. You personally heard it from him? No. I mean, I've heard about this. I heard about this story. Oh, okay. And what his life is like when he knows that at a certain point it's over. Creepy. Yeah. Weird. So I'm kind of curious. Check it out. Yeah. Sometimes light weeks point you to things that you wouldn't normally check out. Such as Sabrina number four. <laughs> yeah, but I would check out Sabrina number no, four. No, I would too. I'm excited for Sabrina four. I forgot that Sabrina was even coming out. It took it's so, so long to get issue two. It's so late. I've caught up. It's fan friggin' tastic. It's, it's from Archie Comics. scary as hell. It's written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. With art by Robert Hack, 32 pages, 399. Here's your solicit. Hell hath no fury. It's Sabrina in the underworld, as she and her companions risk everything, including their immortal souls, to rescue Harvey's consciousness, trapped in the dark pit. Meanwhile, with Greendale's most powerful witch missing in action, Madam Satan launches an attack on the Spellman household, but Hilda and Zelda are not helpless. And then, of course, there's Cousin Ambrose contend with I know, Archie Comics. I know it's fucking crazy. This is Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but it's so good. The art is fantastic. It's oh, it's super really creepy. beautiful. This book is wonderful. This is must not miss. Like, you've got to read this. Must read. It's must, must read. read. <laughs> it's must read stuff. You've got to do it. Must not miss. Must not miss. What the f was that? The. <laughs> The THN trade of the week is the Level Up graphic novel from First Second Books written by Jean Luen Yang with art by Thien Pham. I think it's Tien. Tien Pham. There you go. It's 160 pages for $16.99. That's ridiculous. That's 10 cents a page. I can't do that math, but I think it's closer to like three cents a page. It's 10 cents a page. <laughs> I'm, I'll go four. All right. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Dennis yep. Wang's parents want him to become a doctor, but Dennis just wants to play video games. I've been there, buddy. What happens when fate takes a hand in the form of four adorable bossy and occasionally terrifying angels to lead Dennis down the straight and narrow path to gastroenterology? <laughs> okay. Sounds super weird, but. This is a new edition of Gene Luen Yang's long out of print graphic novel, and it is really great. I've actually read it, courtesy of friend of the show, Darren Jensen. I'm very glad to see it coming back into print, and I highly recommend it. Gene Luen Yang, if you have not read his graphic novels, you are missing out. That dude is an amazing creator. American-born Chinese, the shadow hero. He writes all of the Avatar, not Avatar press but uh avatar the last airbender comics for dark horse he is wonderful and level up is excellent according to how to pronounce names.com it is oyang dennis oyang there you go yes it's a light week for comics next wednesday but we still want to know what you're excited to read too so 
head over to the THN forums and give us a skinny. Now, let's feed this robot some chili dogs and see if it can fart. It does have human parts. <laughs> well, human skin anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it has, you know, like, butt functions. But we're going to find out. Uh, <laughs> butt functions. <laughs> It's the final episode of the month, which means it's time for Take a Look. It's in a book. Each month on Take a Look, we set aside our regular 32-page issues in favor of a full-length graphic novel. This time, we're taking a look at the High Crimes hardcover from Dark Horse Comics by Christopher Sabella and Ibrahim Mustafa. Why is everything I wrote this week full of terrifying typos? I don't know. It really is. I didn't even start drinking until I got here. Here's your solicit. Disgraced Olympic snowboarder Zan Jensen runs a sideline business as a high-altitude grave robber. When a body is found at the summit of Everest with a treasure of state secrets under its skin, Zan finds herself in the crosshairs of a government hit squad. As she races to the roof of the world, Zan will navigate bullets and avalanches to find salvation in the deadliest place on Earth. Now, first things first, Matt. I know that you were really behind this I was way behind. Were you even able to finish this book? Yes. Yeah. I blasted through it. I'm sure you're about to give it the level-headed <laughs> and uh, attentive review it deserves. I blasted through it. Uh, upon reading this solicit, it sounded like your typical 90s B action film. Well, you stopped at a, you stopped at snowboarder and went, "Ugh." No, totally. I like I went straight to but like she's an Olympic athlete. Stallone cliffhanger. Yeah. That's like the first place that I would but went she's in my head. A, an Olympian. It's a little bit more. She's not like from the X Games. No, she's, no, but the, regardless of that, I don't care where she's from and I'm not taking anything away from X Gamers because they're often also Olympic athletes. So X Gamers <laughs> are real jokes. No, they're not. They I'm kidding. I'm just like, They win gold medals. In the yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm kidding. <laughs> the point being, it just sounded like this extreme action comic. And I gotta say, 10 pages into it, you very quickly realize this is not what I'm getting here at all. This is a very clever premise. And I have to wonder where the hell Sabella came up with this, unless he spent some time climbing or has a friend that did, he really pays attention to the mechanics of climbing. Absolutely. Like someone who's either done a load of research on this. Yeah, if you... Or knows someone that knows a lot about climbing. If you look, if you read the back matter and stuff in the book, uh, he talks a little bit about the tremendous amounts of research that he and uh, the artist Ibrahim Mustafa did. I don't think Sabella's summoning Everest anytime soon. <laughs> no, I mean, I've seen the guy. I don't think he's climbing. Everest. But he definitely like this is a really interesting story. And this stuff is real. People die on Everest all the time. A lot. It happens. And there has. And they just leave the bodies there. They, they do because you can't hike up and get them down. There is a cottage industry has sprung up of these people that will go and cut the hand off of a body to fingerprint it and say, this is your loved one. And for the right amount of money, we'll go up and get their body so you can bury it or whatever. And you have proof because you've got their fingerprints. I had no idea this existed. It's a real f***ing thing. Correct. <laughs> like, crazy is, world we live in. It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> so from there, Sabella introduces us to Suzanne Jensen. Zan, if yeah. you will. Who was a snowboarder that found out that she was going to be drug tested she was obviously on some type of 
HGH or something. I don't think they were performance enhancing. I think they were just like get high drugs. Well, I think there was a bunch of stuff going well, on. Yeah, she and some of which may have may or may not have been performance enhancing. Yeah. But she definitely knows her way around a pill bottle. Yeah, it's true. Where and then this is where the title comes in. High crimes. Yeah. So, I mean, she's high for almost this entire book. Really? I mean, she's a disgraced snowboarder that basically took a huge fall on television in front of God and everybody and then fell off the face of the earth. Like just, everyone learned the story of who she was and how messed up she was and the problems she has. And she became sort of this American sweetheart turned embarrassment. So she had nowhere else to go. So she took her skills, ran away to Nepal and started taking bodies off of mountains. She's a fantastic climber. She's obviously deeply flawed. Oh, super flawed. Has some serious like mommy and daddy issues, has all manner of trust issues, relationship issues. And she sort of started working for this guy, Haskell, who was running this company. She met him when she was climbing and found him cutting off a corpse's hand, basically. And yeah. like, what are you doing? And he explained it to her and she went, I really don't have anything else to do. This sounds great. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Now, this premise is so ridiculous, but Sabella does a fantastic job of not only reining it all in, but making it really believable. And there's some like almost laugh out loud stuff that happens in a couple parts of this that, where it gets a little ridiculous with like the government hit squad and their boss who's just a lunatic and fires guns in the air. It, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. There's here's the thing about the story. Don't go into it expecting a pat conclusion. Right. And I don't want to get into any kind of spoilers, but there's a lot of stuff left unresolved. Yes. Especially uh, concerning uh, this shadowy government agency, if they are, in fact, from the government. Yeah, we don't even really know. They may just be like a fix-it squad. Yeah. That is hired off the books. We don't really know. Zan has stumbled upon these secrets that she shouldn't have, and now somebody's after her. And all she's got left in the world is to make her way back to the body that the secrets came from, right. pillage it for all it's worth, and escape into the neighboring country. It just happens to be China. China, right. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I'm just going to step to the side off of this one mountain, and then I'll be all good. I'll be in China. <laughs> right. And, and it's not fair, but we are going to continually bring up Greg Rucka's name, because Greg Rucka, like, as we discussed earlier also writes these strong female type characters. Sabella does a fantastic job writing this character, but not in the same way that Rucka does it. Rucka also writes flawed characters, but Sabella's character here, Suzanne is deeply flawed to a point where, I mean, she's not a hero. She's not, not at all. And I got sick of her for a little while there where I was just like, this girl sucks. Like she is a legitimately bad person. And it was at that moment where I realized, man, this is really well written. Yeah. <laughs> like your main character is this selfish drug addict bitch, basically, who uses all these other people and realizes that she's doing it just to get away from herself and to now to use her own selfish skills to get out of the situation. And she's taking in. people down with her as she goes. Yes, absolutely. And but I've got to say, it was in that moment where I started to get pissed at the character that I realized how well Sabella is writing her. Oh, yeah. It was super compelling. Yeah. And even though I, I obviously 
can't relate to it. And I couldn't connect to Zan as a character because her personality is so abrasive and, and so, uh, like you said, selfish, but you couldn't connect to the snowboarding aspect. Yeah. Well, you know, or the drug addict aspect or the (laughs) mountain climbing aspect. (laughs) I was a speed skater, man. Okay. I, we like those guys that played around on the snow. That's totally different. I found the story so compelling just to see what would happen next. Uh, once she got the next leg up the mountain. Yeah. Sabella very wisely intersperses what's going on with Suzanne with flashbacks from the journal of this spy. Yeah. The, the one who had the secrets that Haskell and Zan have, who also may have been insane. (laughs) He was also a broken man. Well, a very, uh, obviously brainwashed by a system that was using him for its own ends and trying to break free from that. And all it got him was killed. Right. Uh, dead on a dead on a mountain. Yeah. There's this amazing parallel between what the spy goes through and what Suzanne's going through throughout the entire book. And it's almost like a mirror image. And in on some pages, uh, thanks to the art by Ibrahim Mustafa, it is like holding up a mirror Yeah. where in this panel, you've got Suzanne and all of her supplies laid out in front of her. And then in the next panel over, you've got, I, Harrison Mars is his name. Mars. Uh, all of his stuff laid out in front of him, and it's like a mirror image. And it was just expertly woven together in a way that really drove the story it really forward. Was. It really was. Ibrahim Mustafa, I want to talk about his art for a minute because there's like nothing flashy about what that guy does. In fact, I'd say it actually took me a little while to get into it. I mean, art too. wise. That's where I was going to go with that. But I started looking at his backgrounds and the way that he drew stuff, the way he drew the mountain. And whatnot, and especially the climb when they really get into the climb, and it is grueling. I mean, even reading it was grueling. It, yeah. There's a long passage of this that is just the climb up Everest, and Mustafa kills it. It looks painful. It looks awful. Every step looks like it's very, very difficult. <laughs> and he is a very talented illustrator. I just looked him up. The guy's done like nothing. He did. Uh, this in 2013, and then a book called The Pound, Ghoul's Night Out in 2012. I think he's brand new on the scene. I, th- I think I do remember that book, The Pound. I remember seeing it. But man, I'm really looking forward to more from this guy. This really turned out to be great. And not great in like, not like the way that we learned about John Lewis's life in March, or the way that Craig Thompson can take you on this like soul, you know, ripping journey. Just a really good action story absolutely would absolutely lend itself very well to a movie really would and i would love to see oh, this yeah. film this I would, would be a love great movie to see it yeah this was great i'm giving it a huge buy it i had a lot of fun with it the hardcover itself is actually beautiful it's really nice 1999 yeah, it's a really good very package. affordable it's got a lot of fun back matter like all of the promo stuff that they created yeah. Uh, Sabella did a lot of the graphic design work himself in terms of like creating promo images for the book. And it's really fun to see what they did and all the work they put in. This came out originally through monkey brain digitally. So it wasn't a print comic before. So they had to work really hard yeah. to get this story in front of people and to convince them to check it out and to see all that they did, you know, laid out like that in the back of this book. It was really fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving it a buy it as well. Christopher Sabella, really coming up as a writer that guy and i am very interested to see more from him ibrahim mustafa once i warmed up to what he was doing with the art beautiful art 
And uh, I loved like the layouts and the way that he uh, paneled certain things and, and how panels had insets upon insets yeah. upon insets as uh, certain things were happening really, in the action. Really subtle changes in the art when he was doing the flashbacks. Yep. To when you were seeing Mars's life. So subtle, but really well thought out. This is a great book. Loved it. Yeah. Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain Head to the Take a Look section of the THN forums to let us know what you thought of High Crimes and then buckle up because the great THN manga experiment of 2015 begins next month. It's great now, huh? With Pluto <laughs> Volume 1 by Naoki Urasawa and Osamu Tezuka. It's going to be like 600 pages, isn't it? I doubt it. <laughs> but it is. I hope not. These things are like phone books. Rocky Mountain High. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Back to Business episode of THN. If you like podcasts with farting robots, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, and if you want to keep us in spare Terminator parts, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. We haven't had any of those for a little while, so... It's been a while since we've gotten You could warm our cockles. <laughs> and my cockle hasn't been warmed in oh, quite some time. Oh, my aching cockles. Hey, if you're interested in sponsoring THN, and why wouldn't you be... Shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. Now head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Don't forget about the Twitter Tumblr where we post the outtake every week. It's a great time. You'll love it. The more we drink, the more outtakey we get. hey And don't forget to sign up for the THN Forums, kids. It's your little virtual piece of the Ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can ask us to review your self-published comics. You can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them. Well, baby, you can just rap about comics. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. It's there. It's real, and it's spectacular. And if you follow me, you can see all the terrifying death metal that I listen to. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Arun Singh, a longtime fixture at Marvel Comics, who just announced his departure from the publisher and his new job as VP of Publicity for Sci-Fi. He's a Hollywood big shot now. I don't know if he is. <laughs> Let's just give it to him. Word to you, Arun. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer might have to take a job working on the next Boa versus Bigger Boa straight to sci-fi movie if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. It's my, it's my waking nightmare. <laughs>